You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Content moderation in the aftermath of the New Zealand mosque shootings, a shift in Huawei's strategy in the face of Five Eye and especially U.S. sanctions. Corruption, neglect, and replacement of experts by politically reliable operators seems to have caused Venezuela's blackouts. Gnostic players are back with more commodity data. And AI has no monopoly on evil. Natural intelligence has that market cornered. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 18th, 2019. Facebook has removed 1.5 million copies of video showing Friday's massacre of Muslims at prayer in New Zealand. New Zealand's Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, wants social network companies to do more, particularly with respect to blocking extremist, inspirational content. But blocking content remains an imperfectly solved problem. Either viewers object to something they've seen and report it, or an algorithm flags content as questionable. At that point, human moderators make a determination. Social media platforms have difficulty handling this at scale, even when they're not working with live streams, and there are few good suggestions for how live-streamed video might be moderated. Mobile carriers in New Zealand have blocked sites that carry or carried the shooter's video, The services blocked include 8chan, 4chan, and LiveLeak. The shooting itself and the attendant radicalization surrounding it is under investigation in New Zealand, of course, but in other countries as well. In the UK, for example, MI5 is looking for connections between the shooter and British extremists. In general, it's being noted that governments, even though as accustomed to cooperation as those of the Five Eyes, do better sharing foreign intelligence than they do intelligence bearing on domestic terrorist threats. Huawei's lawsuit against the U.S. federal government, alleging that its treatment amounts to an unconstitutional bill of attainder, isn't likely to be any more successful than a similar suit Kaspersky filed late last year. Both companies have been booted from federal networks as security risks, but courtroom success doesn't seem to be the goal, according to the Washington Post, Huawei is appealing to the court of public opinion, particularly allied public opinion. The general lines of that public appeal won't be constitutional. There are a number of op-eds and news stories out, those appearing in the Globe Times are representative, that argue that the U.S. is really not afraid of being hacked via Huawei gear, but rather that it fears its own surveillance programs will be impeded by wider adoption of Chinese hardware and services. China's premier, Li Keqiang, said Friday that China would never ask Chinese companies to spy on its behalf, 
This reassurance being offered as part of an international charm offensive that featured a new law that nominally affords foreign companies more protection of their intellectual property. These reassurances are generally welcomed as nice, but few are taking them at face value. Venezuela's power grid has partially recovered from last week's outages. Its causes seem to have been rooted in decisions the Chavista regime has taken over the last few years that resulted in displacement of operational expertise by political pliability. Electricidad de Caracas, the country's largest power provider, was acquired by AES in 2000, but AES was forced to sell to Petróleos de Venezuela during nationalizations in 2007. Shortly after the nationalization, power generation and distribution were folded in to Corpoelec. A move to upgrade power generation capacity in 2010 by constructing thermoelectric plants to supplement the country's hydroelectric-based generation did not proceed happily. The Wall Street Journal notes that no-bid contracts and kickbacks to the politically well-connected became the norm. The Wall Street Journal has followed up reporting last week by the New York Times that suggests poorly maintained facilities were taken out by brush fires. Corpo-Elec stopped clearing fast-growing vegetation from around transmission lines and access roads about three years ago. Maduro's regime has blamed a combination of domestic sabotage and American cyber attack. The wreckers the security services have fingered have been relatively junior managers at Corpo-Elec, like Giovanni Zambrano, who was detained last week by intelligence agents. His offense, one concludes from the Wall Street Journal's coverage, seems to be that he told local media back in February that the grid was on the verge of collapse. Few observers now credit the regime's allegations that the outage was an American hack or electromagnetic attack. Those who do are for the most part driven by ideological sympathy. Those who do so, like the Russian or Chinese governments, do so because such accusations are a handy stick with which to beat Washington. More than 50 countries now recognize the Venezuelan National Assembly's declaration that Juan Guaido is the country's interim president. Nicolas Maduro continues to cling to the office, however, and has directed his cabinet to turn in their resignations to effect, quote, a profound reorganization of the methods and operation of the Bolivarian government to shield the homeland of Bolivar and Chavez from any threat, unquote. Future outages appear likely. Not Petya's effects continue to appear in victims' bottom lines. The Irish Examiner notes that TNT Express Ireland says it sustained 2.2 million euros in losses last year, attributable to its corporate parents' affliction with the pseudo-ransomware. And the Gnostic players are back, dropping a fourth round of stolen records in their favored dark web markets. This time they're offering over 26 million user records, Names, emails, passwords, that kind of thing. All for the low, low price of 1.2431 Bitcoin. That's roughly 4,940 Yankee greenbacks, if you should happen to be in the market. Gnostic Players isn't feeling the love. He's been chatting with ZDNet, and ZDNet thinks they've got the real Gnostic Players and not some imposter. I got upset because I feel no one is learning, Mr. Gnostic told the publication. I just felt upset at this particular moment because seeing this lack of security in 2019 is making me angry. He's no longer hoping to make a quick buck and retire. 
And in any case, $4,900 isn't going to get him very far because he's realized that other hackers have gotten there first. So instead, he's trying to get what he can from extortion. Mr. Gnostic mused, I came to an agreement with some companies, but the concerned startups won't see their data for sale. I did it, that's why I can't publish the rest of my databases or even name them. A lot of the data are probably recycled from earlier breaches. Still disturbing, but in all likelihood, commodity stuff. Finally, at the recent South by Southwest meetings, chess grandmaster Gary Kasparov offered some reflections to Fast Company about the scope and limitations of artificial intelligence. For all the talk of artificial intelligence's growing capabilities, Kasparov said, quote, humans still have the monopoly on evil, end quote, evil being what Kasparov would characterize as an open system. He doesn't discount the considerable capabilities that artificial intelligence exhibits and will no doubt continue to improve, but he does think it excels in closed systems. So a monopoly of evil? Okay, we've got that going for us. Trainers of AI, take note, you may well find your own vices reflected right back at you. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, we got an uh, interesting story came by, and this is about DARPA, which is building a new open source secure voting system. Right. And they got $10 million bucks uh, to do it. Uh, what's going on here? Fill us in what the details are. This came out on March 14th. And exactly two days before, on March 12th, they had, uh, on Motherboard, they had an article about 
researchers finding a critical backdoor in the Swiss online voting system. Mm, mm-hmm. But this is not an online voting system. Okay. This is an in-person voting system. Okay. DARPA has contracted with a company called Galois. Galois. And it's spelled G-A-L-O-I-S. It's okay. A French mathematician. Okay. It's named after. Basically what they're doing is they're, is they're developing two systems for voters. Mm. Uh, and the one that's covered most in this article is about the one that generates ballots for for voters. So you're going to you're going to walk in, yep. there's going to be an electronic representation of the ballot in front of you. Okay. Uh, and you're going to make your votes on the electronic machine. Right. And then the machine will print out a paper representation of what you voted. There will be no barcodes on this. Okay. Uh, because that's one of the concerns that uh, people have is that if the counting machine is going to read a barcode on how I voted, humans can't read that. So hmm. if I present the user, the voter, with how they actually voted and then tamper with their votes in the barcode and that's what gets tallied, that's no good. Yeah. Right? So this doesn't have a barcode. It, it actually reads the, uh, the ballot the, the same way the user does. It looks at the, at the boxes that the user checked and, and tallies up the votes. Okay. So then when the user takes the ballot over to the, uh, the scanner, the scanner will scan the ballot and print out a receipt with a cryptographic token on it. Oh, okay. right. And that cryptographic token can then be used to say that, yes, your votes were included and they were included properly in the tally. So it's sort of your your receipt is this cryptographic token. Right. And what do you check that against? Uh, you check it against a website that will be published after the election. So after the fact, you can go and use this cryptographic token. Right. To verify that what they have you down for is what you... Well, you can't actually see who you voted for. Oh, okay. Um, because that's actually provides someone with a means to coerce somebody else. So oh. I can say, Dave, you better vote for uh, my candidate in the next election or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you up. Now, give me your receipt <laughs> and let me, oh, let me see, see who you voted for. Right, right, right. Uh, so they don't show you that. Okay. Uh, but they do show you that your votes were tallied properly. Hmm. But I don't know how they go about proving it. It probably has something to do with the cryptographic system yeah. that's that's involved. And, and uh, the fact that this is open source, that's a good thing, yes? That's a great thing. Uh, they're going to be taking it to DEF CON. They're going to be sending it out to universities. Uh, the biggest problem I've always had with these electronic voting machines is that they, they are not open source. People have found vulnerabilities in these that were easily exploitable. Mm-hmm. And the manufacturers of these systems didn't do much about it. Uh, they're private companies. They're private companies, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and Galois will not be manufacturing these voting machines either. They're just going to release the standard. And this is kind of an issue I have with this entire project, is they're going to release the standard out to other companies to produce the voting machines with the software and with allegedly the hardware. So this is where, if this system breaks, this is where it's going to break. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but it it's seems going to break as where though... other people manufacture it. So what, what they're doing here is trying to get as many eyes on this as possible. I guess right. part of what they're after is to try to reestablish trust in these systems. Right, because yeah. Because certainly after some of our recent elections, I think some of that's been eroded. Right. I, I've told stories about when we had the Diebold machines here in Maryland. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and somebody looked at my uh, ticket that I handed them, and he sent me to a voting machine that nobody else had used while I was there and nobody else was using while I was there. Hmm. Uh, and each one of those individual... Diebold machines was its own ballot box. So how do I know that they didn't just reset that machine when I was done? So I like the idea where they where they have one vote counting machine in an election site mm-hmm. and everybody's it's like the old ballot box. It's essentially an electronic ballot box. And not only that, but there actually is a paper record of the ballot in the ballot box. Yeah. A physical paper record. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, it's an interesting program. Well, certainly uh, it's going to get a lot of attention as it moves its way uh, through the process. But yep. uh, we'll seems keep an like, eye on it. Yeah, it seems like a good thing. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.